Welcome to Great Talk Church. Um, uh, my name is Homer Hargrove. I'm glad that you are a part of our group today. Um, today we are starting a new series about romance. Romance. And today specifically, we're going to be talking about how we're sexual beings. And as we're getting ready for this series, it's the month of love, right? Um, I, I want to be clear that each week we're going to be talking about some unique topics, but I want you to grasp that every week there is something that you are able to pull from and there's just, if you have a teachable heart, then you will be able to learn something every week. So don't ever look at the topic and count yourself out. Uh, There's something in here for everybody. Today, like I said, we're going to be talking about sexual beings. We're sexual beings. And I want us to start with this thought that sex is one of the most misunderstood and avoided topics amongst Christians. I think that we either avoid the topic altogether or just say, don't do it. We just tell everyone don't have sex (laughs) unless you're married, right? That's like 80% of youth pastoring is just telling kids not to have sex, (laughs) but, or we're incredibly weird about it. And my heart is for us as Christians to be able to articulately explain sex, talk about sex in, in a clear way that's understandable Um, Because it is a necessary part of our lives, being that we are part sexual beings. To start us off, I want to look at the biblical perspective of sex. And I believe that the Bible has the best answers for questions on sex. Starting in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And I want to just point out, before we go to the next verses, I want to point out that all throughout creation, we see in these these days of God creating the earth, these times of God creating things, that he ends by saying, and it was good, and it was good, and God created this, and it was good. And here is a moment in which it says in the Bible, it was not good for man to be alone. Jumping down to verse 21, it says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man was slept, the Lord God took out one of his, uh, the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And he brought, he brought her to the man at last exclamation mark. The man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman. Because she was taken from man, this explains why a man leaves her, his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now, that's a big emphasis at the end, is that they felt no shame. What's, what's unique about this scripture is that the very first interaction between man and woman, Adam and Eve, is this intimate sexual relationship. Notice as soon as he sees her, he's like, alas, he sees this beautiful woman right in front of him. And then it's almost like the curtains draw and it just gives this explanation of why a man leaves his father and mother and united to his wife. And it's like, it just gives this illusion that they have sex. And think about this for a moment. God created this moment created this moment. It's the very first thing that Adam and Eve do. And and in this moment, it's not like Adam and Eve went to a bush and then secretly and came out and said, hey, God, guess what we just found out? 
God wasn't like, what? You did what? Y'all are so gross. I mean, the parts fit. This is weird. No, it, it literally says that they were both naked. Again, the sexual aspect of mankind and felt no shame. It, it, was, it showed that there was this intention of sex being good. And let's also understand something very powerful. What do, what do you think is the, the number one purpose of sex? Traditionally, churchiness says, oh, well, to reproduce. That's like the only reason for sex is to reproduce. And if you're not reproducing, then you're out of God's will. I think that's a really unbiblical thing to say because th they have sex right now in this moment. Do they get pregnant? No. It, it doesn't show how much time elapses between this moment and how long until they were out of the Garden of Eden. But it gives this imagery that there's some time in between. They did not get pregnant in this moment. And I don't know about you, but there's no TV in the Garden of Eden. There's not a lot to do, okay? I'm imagining that they are doing this quite a bit and not getting pregnant. It shows that one of the purposes, the main purpose of sex is pleasure. That's it, it, we cannot escape that. If we look biblically, we have to understand and understand that God created pleasure. It wasn't just an accident that it was pleasurable. It, he created it on purpose. And for us to understand that, it should really make a, a, a glimpse. It should give a glimpse of how God has created us to be part sexual beings. And it's only because of, of culture and, and different points of history of why the church has had a demonized view of sex to where even, what is it, like the 1800s, where man and wife would sleep in separate beds in order to abstain from having sex even within the marriage? It's, it's crazy. It's ludicrous. Did you know that even Kellogg Serial, the founder, the creator of Kellogg Serial, his name was Dr. Kellogg. And he found through his studies that uh, baked, uh, overheated baked biscuit flakes uh, could help reduce the sex drive in young men. And so they would prescribe this, this, this overbaked flakes of biscuit to young people, to children, to teenagers as cereal. And they would eat it every day for breakfast for the sole purpose to lower their sex drive. That's a really, it makes you think about cereal different. Who's going to buy K-Logs now? If we understand that, that this is all a warped view from what the Bible actually says about sex, I think we can find some clarity today. So I want to just kind of go through and understand some, some clear aspects of sex and how we can find what is okay and what is not okay from a biblical perspective. Let me emphasize biblical perspective, not an opinion, but a, a rational biblical perspective, untainted by opinions, untainted by culture, untainted by traditions. Let's just look at what the Bible has to say. So starting off, let, just looking at premarital sex, we can use scripture to understand that this is not okay, that, that uh, premarital sex is not okay in the Bible. And you must understand that to allow sex unbridled in your life is to let others clean their muddy feet in your drinking well. It, 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 is, uh, it is mixing other people's soul ties, all, all their mess in their lives, and it is mixing it with yours. And I, I want to just 
take this moment to grasp that the Bible emphasizes that sex is great and amazing. It's the best gift that God has given mankind. And when we just have it flippantly, the Bible is simply saying it is so it is so great and it is so special that you should have it just with one person. That is, is so incredible physically and spiritually. But what the world says is it, it belittles sex and says it's just a little sex. It's not a big deal. I don't know what kind of sex you're having, but if it was not a big deal, why would we want it so bad? The idea of just having sex with just anyone it belittles of how great sex is it's almost like if you think about it this is a weird connection but if you think about even like the idea of cussing when you're a teenager and you first you know experience cussing or depending on how old you are when you first found out what cussing is but it's like when you start cussing all the time it's like you're dropping the f-bomb all the time it loses its meaning doesn't it but when you use it in those right moments oh whoa hey calm down and all of a sudden there's much emphasis well i feel like it's kind of like a similar draw on sex is that you depreciate it when you treat it ordinary but when you treat it as something special and grand and amazing and great it's something to be have with just this one and within the confines of marriage so understanding the bible says that premarital sex is not okay but what about what about okay i remember when i first gave my life to christ and i called the most religious person I could think of. And I was like, okay, look, I'm trying to get closer to God. Just tell me, can I have sex? Is it a sin to have sex? There's a little pause and they're like, yeah. <laughs> and I remember I was devastated. I was like, oh my God. And I already knew it. I already knew it to myself, but I was just like hoping. And I was like, oh. okay, let me just sit on this for a second. And then I was like, okay, what? Well, what about oral sex? And I started trying to go down the line of like the lesser item and, and asking like, well, is this okay? What about this? What about just making out? What about, what about this? What about that? And it, it was more so I was trying to find like this, you know, like a biblical loophole for me to be able to do what I wanted to do without saying that I did it. And I'll just go, I'll just go up to this. I'll say this, that anything uh, that is a sexual act is up to your own conviction. It's up to your own conviction. Again, I'm wanting to, to lay out before you what the Bible has to say about things, not about my own opinion, but anything when it comes to premarital sexual acts is up to your own conviction, but it is not okay if it leads to climax. Well, that eliminates a lot, doesn't it? Uh, I want us to understand that even just kissing is foreplay. And don't mean trying to tell me that it's not. It's just an innocent little kiss. I, I, yes, like a little kiss is nice. Yes, I, I, I kiss my wife in front of my kids. I get it. But then you go into making out and like, that was just kissing, you know, leveled up. And we see that making out is clearly, it can be clearly foreplay. It, it leads to the next thing. And that's, that's really what I'm talking about is that if you're wanting to decide to be pure, you're going to have to kind of just uh, face the truth and realize that that sexual behavior will lead to sex. And if you're wanting to be pure, then you should avoid sexual behavior. But again, at the end of the day, biblical perspective, it's up to your own conviction of what's okay and not okay. But if it leads to climax, you're having sex, dog. I, I don't know how else to tell you. It's like you're doing it. Now, let's talk about sex and sexual acts within marriage. It's not only okay, it's encouraged. 
in first in Corinthians chapter seven, verse one through five, it says, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter. So we see that even the early church is asking about this stuff. It's not just us wondering, even the early church. So the first thing they're saying is like, well, Paul, wait, we have some questions about sex. He says, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Well, wait, what? Did I hear that right? The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. What? It's not just all about the man. The man is supposed to finish her. And then it says, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourself more completely to prayer. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know any single person that's praying that much. They're like, we're going to just have to, we need to hold off on having sex because it's, it's coming in, it's messing up our prayer time. It says, afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul in this message is saying, he makes it very practical and spiritual at the same time. And in a very practical way, says, yeah, it would, it, it can, it is beneficial in a sense if you abstain from sexual relations because you can focus on, on other things. You can focus on being a, a, a missionary. You won't be worried about your spouse or your kids at home if, uh, if you're martyred for Christ, if you're a missionary, you can do so much work, more work for the gospel message because your interests won't be divided. Yes, it can be good to abstain from, but because there's so much sexual immorality, because you're not going to be able to contain yourself if you have a, a sex drive, then you should just go ahead and get married so that you won't be flooded with guilt about having sex outside of marriage. And, and he's, and it's such, it's such a practical thing. And I feel like to anyone that struggles with the idea, like maybe I'm just cursed and, and I'm supposed to, I'm destined for a life of singleness. Just be honest with yourself. And that, that smoking hot girl came up to you and said, you're out of all the godly men I have found you and out. And, and I'm just so in love with you. And you, and you would say no, then maybe you're called to singleness, but if you, if you'd be uh, thank you, God. Praise God. I, I found my wife. Then you're not called to singleness. If, if you desire a spouse, then it's okay for you to have a spouse. Same goes for any of you ladies out there. And you're saying, well, maybe I just didn't call to singleness. And that guy that you like, that you're just borderline infatuated with, would come up to you and say, hey, I've been, I, I just, I've been nervous and I just really want to ask you out. And you would, in your heart, sit, like be so excited and gleaming with a yes, then you're not called to singleness. It is that simple. And he's saying that if you if you have this sex drive in your life, that you should just get married and, and be with a partner that you could that, find the right one, be with your partner so that you can, in a sense, move on and have this sex drive fulfilled within a marriage. And notice that at the end of this verse, he's when he's saying, if you're going to abstain from yourself, like, sure, go ahead. Like, you're going to give up sex for prayer, but like, come back together and have sex because... The devil will tempt you through your lack of self-control. So he's literally saying, you need to be having sex. You married couples, y'all need to have sex more often. I think that within marriage, marriage is an open playing field with only one spouse, that is. I believe that when it comes to sex and sexual acts and anything in between, 
uh, that marriage is an open playing field up to each owns conviction, up to what each spouse member is comfortable with. So we're not forcing someone to do something that they really don't want to do. But if y'all both want to do things, you know, go ahead. It's within your marriage, unless it's with another person or unless it involves pornography, it's an open playing field with your spouse. And you can be, you can explore as much as you and your, your spouse want to and are comfortable with. Now that leaves us with one last topic when it comes to us being sexual beings. And that is the topic of masturbation. Masturbation there, uh, I'm going to just be blatant about it. Masturbation is, there's no biblical context that blatantly says clearly that masturbation is wrong, nor right. It, it is, the Bible, it's a gray area. And so for this, it is up to each own conviction. It is up to each person's own conviction. And if we understand that, and I'll, I'll tell you this, let me share this as well, that that when I say that there's not there's not any Bible verse that condemns masturbation, I, I'm not saying that we should just go crazy and buck wild, but it's like what uh, it's like what First Corinthians chapter six verse twelve says. It says, "You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say that food was made for the the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true." God will do away with both of them someday. I, what I what I want to emphasize is that with masturbation, there's not any Bible verse that blatantly condemns it, and the the only Bible verses that are used to condemn it are not talking about it. A, a very popular one is like Judas' son uh, uh, dies, the second son of Misses is put to fulfill his brother-in-law's duties. see this is it's it's wrong to waste your seed by masturbating it's wrong to to waste semen i think that's ludicrous because the the part that was evil was the fact that he was abusing his role as the brother-in-law in that time he's abusing his role in relationship in order to rape tamar it shows god's view on how he thinks about rape that he killed that boy he killed that man for raping that girl over and over and abusing that relationship that makes a lot more sense of why the the punishment was so severe it and so if we understand and grasp the concept even if that was the case what about women masturbating they don't spill no seed they're not wasting nothing and see it, it's not applicable because it's not biblical and we could go down the line of any kind of verse that people would try to use to uh, to say to condemn biblically masturbation. It's just not. It, it's just it, you have to make an assumption of an opinion, and, and that that's not what we do when we're making biblical interpretation. And the last thing I would say about it is uh, the the argument is like, well, you can't masturbate without lusting. That is a matter of opinion. That's not a matter of biblical interpretation. It, and it's 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 
that's a fine line to say that you know every single person and how they masturbate. <laughs> You're saying that no human being in the world can masturbate without lusting. And see, we could separate the two. Lust is wrong. We see that in scripture, but we don't see the same about masturbation. We could see that lust is wrong and can lead to masturbation, but it doesn't mean that masturbation is wrong because of, uh, because of lust. Those are two separate things. The argument to be made there is what about a married person if they're uh, far away from their spouse and they were masturbating while thinking about their spouse? Is it wrong then? You, you're not lusting over someone else's, you're not committing. Remember that verse where Jesus says you're lusting and committing adultery in your heart. It's talking about lusting after a woman that is not yours. And so lust, it doesn't, it's not necessarily applicable to a, a married couple. And so it, it's, it doesn't, it makes it to where it's not an absolute. And we cannot find any definitive uh, biblical scripture to make masturbation an absolute con condemnation. It goes into being a personal conviction. Now, with that being said, my heart in that is not for us to just go crazy, but to realize that with anything and everything, our sinful nature tries to pervert and consume our lives to destroy ourselves. And that leads us to our next point, which is the consuming nature, our, our consuming sinful nature. Unbridled sexual desire will destroy your life. Unbridled sexual desire will destroy your life. I, I want us to understand on this topic, it, you know, it's a great segue from masturbation into this consuming nature because uh, there's a statistic that most humans have sexual cravings that, that arise in puberty. This is a fact. And more than 92% of men and 76% of women practice masturbation during puberty into adulthood. This is like, this is a moment since we're online. Now you look at your neighbor like, mm-hmm. And see, we see that is something so common. It is so, it is so common. To, uh, it, it shows that it's almost a part of life in the same way that, that adolescence is. Like it learned... Uh, uh, becoming into adulthood, just like our sex drive to understand that our sex drive is part of our nature. The definition of perversion is the alteration of something from its original course, from, from its original meaning or its original state to a distortion or corruption of what was first intended. See, God created sex and it was good. He created food and it was good. He created all these things and it was good. But what sin does, sin perverts what was good and turns it into this a, a, a destruction. And it's like food, even Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes says everything in this world is vain. Everything is pointless. But then it says food is the one gift from God. It says that it's a gift of God to reward us from our labors. It says that food is like this one good thing out of everything vain. But because of our sinful consuming nature so quickly it can consume our lives and gluttony it, it can literally destroy our lives living for food in the same way our sinful nature can destroy anything that's permitted or anything that is good like masturbation say say you don't you come to a place where you're not convicted about it it's something okay for you but if your sinful nature causes it to be a consuming nature in your life then it becomes wrong the same is for sex if sex unbridled, sexual desire left unbridled will destroy your house. It will destroy your life. Sex is like a fire. 
in the right place, even like if you're out in the wild, in the right place, fire is a source of life. Not only does it keep you warm in the midst of cold, but it can cook your food. It can, it, it can nurture you and be the greatest thing for you in the moment of life and death. And so another moment, though, fire could be the most destructive path if left unbridled. It could burn your entire house down, can burn an entire city down, can burn forests down. So it's all about fire being in the right setting. That's what it's like with sex. Left unbridled, it will destroy your life. I want you to think for a moment back in like, what was it, 2012? There is that, that case, I think it was in Chicago, where those three girls ended up escaping Ariel Castro's house. And we found out that for over 10 years, these three girls who were, were kidnapped as teenagers were held as this man's sex slaves in his basement, ch literally chained up. And it's just so, so horrific to even think that that was happening let alone in our country like like you can't even imagine that's like crazy and to know that that was happening and when that man ariel castro was on the 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 stand before the the judge pronounced his sentence and you're given that chance that do you have any last words before he's sentencing he he later committed suicide after being sentenced to life in prison but when he was asked if he had any last words in a rambling statement, he told the judge that he was not a monster, but he was a man suffering from a pornography addiction. I'm not a monster. I'm sick. It, I mean, it's crazy to think. He described that he started off with simply masturbating and looking at porn. Think for a moment how many people do that on a regular basis. I, I've, I've been in student ministry a long time, and I remember a moment when uh, – when I was working uh, through this project through UT Health and, and, and teaching kids and adolescents about this stuff, I remember asking the question, when was the first time that you looked at porn? And you're talking about kids, uh, the kids would say between the ages, uh, like as low as 10, nine years old, 10 years old, 14, and they're looking at hardcore porn. And most of them said it was the first time that they got a smartphone. Think about that for the moment. It wasn't it wasn't the fact that they got a smartphone and they happened to stumble upon it, but it was the fact that they had thought about it even previously, but only had access to it once they had a smartphone. It was one of the first things they look up. And that, in the same way that that's how young it start, this man says that he had a pornography addiction in which it started out just like normal looking at porn. And all of a sudden it turned into hours of him looking at porn, not being able to stop. And then that wasn't enough. And he started, uh, he would look at porn and go to strip clubs. And that the, even that what he would look at pornography lies got more and more horrific. And then all of a sudden the, the strip clubs and the porn was enough. Then he was getting hookers and that wasn't enough. And all of a sudden the, this day presents itself to where he finds this little girl that, that uh, happened to ride his bus. He was a school bus driver who was walking home in the rain and she, he offered to give her a ride home. And in that moment, his unbridled sexual desire came into his head and and all of a sudden it consumed him to where he didn't take her home he took him to he took her to his house and raped her and ended up chaining her in her, his basement i mean how horrific and then guess what that wasn't enough he ended up kidnapping another girl and that wasn't enough he ended up kidnapping another girl do you see how sin this 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 evil is a it's this insatiable 
uh, darkness that tries to consume your life. And it is never enough. It is never enough. But what does it always try to convince us? What, whatever that sin is for you, what does it always try to convince you? You just need to get it out of your system. Just one more time. You just need to get a little taste and then you'll be done with it. Just do what feels good right now. That's the biggest lie you could ever believe because that's sensuality. Sensuality is living for pleasure and whatever feels good. It makes morality subjective to how you feel that day. That's what happened to this man. And do you, ever, do you think that darkness won't consume your life? I'm telling you, I, I work in recovery and no person that struggles with addiction ever thought that they would struggle with addiction like the way they do. It it's, catches everybody by surprise. There, and when you live for pleasure and doing whatever feels good, that that darkness will grow and grow like mold in your life. And it will be unseen, but it will continue to grow until it, it's silently killing you. And there is no limits to what one would do for the purpose of pleasure if you allow your morality to be subjective on how you feel or behave in the moment. That's why we project, we're, we're saying that, that the Bible is a sub, uh, where our morality is de derived from. It's an objective, this objective source because we feel differently from day to day and just your desire for pleasure will make you change the standard of morality in your life. That is, so, that is why it's so important to understand that unbridled sexual de desire will inevitably and eventually destroy your life. It is a consuming, it's the consuming nature of sin. On that, I want to end with, with a final thought. And that is commitment over compatibility. Passion from sex is temporary. And I would say it's very similar to, to, to any pleasure. Any pleasure is temporary in the moment. It's like uh, it, it consumes your mind one moment saying that's all you need to feel better. And after you give into it, you're like, oh, I feel like I can think clearly again. <laughs> it's like that pleasure is just for a moment and then it's gone. First Corinthians 7 verse 10 through 11 says, but for those who are married, I have, the, I have a command that comes from not from me, but from the Lord. Um. I'm sorry, this this is a, a different verse. I, I didn't mean to share this one. Um, it's for something else I was going to talk about. Um, but what I'm getting at is we understand that passion from sex is temporary. That passion from sex is temporary. It is it, it it should be seen in the same way that anything pleasurable is also temporary. The reason I feel like it we should emphasize this understanding of commitment over compatibility is on the basis of this understanding. I feel like most Christians that end up getting pregnant before getting married, the reason that that happens is because most of those Christians don't carry condoms. I'm not suggesting that we should all carry condoms all the time. What I'm saying is most single Christians have a, a desire for purity in their lives and they tell themselves, I will say no, I will choose purity, I will wait. But then the opportunity comes and that pleasure it just seems so good. And it was only temporary. They end up giving in and getting pregnant. And then they like, let's just get married. And we, we try to have this retroactive, uh, this retroactive commitment because of the mistake that we made. And I, I, I really believe that 
we should understand that that happens then they get married and then they start thinking well you know what we're not even compatible it's been like uh, six months and now we're fighting all the time and see anyone that has been married knows that after the sexual passion fades after like the honeymoon fades it's normal to it's like you just like realize that you both poop it's it's you're not just all hot and bothered all the time you know everything about each other and after a couple months it's actually very common and normal to not be infatuated in the sense of, uh, that you were when you were sexually crazy for each other and so what happens is people start doubting, like, well, we should just get a divorce. We're not even compatible. We're fighting now. We never used to fight. It was different than we shouldn't have got married. We got in and over our head and blah, 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 blah. Commitment is, is where the line should be drawn in the sand. No matter, uh, it, uh, no matter what happens is the idea of commitment. And sex can't make that commitment for you. Sex and passion cannot make that commitment. Love is an action and a choice. So often we think that love is love and love is seen in sex. Lust is for the serving of self. Love is actually often very hard and sacrificial. Love is, off, is often loving somebody even when they don't love you back. I mean, love is just a difficult thing. It's not the idea of sex. And often the, the in love feelings that we have, those are just the 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 feelings that come with love, but it's love is still an action and a choice. And if we understand that love is commitment and that sex is only temporary, it should be a better guide for us when it comes to the topic of romance and sex as Christians. Sex is so much more than uh, uh, sex is so much more than uh, than a romantic fling with somebody it is something so special and spiritual and marriage is so much more than sex marriage is so much more than sex and you sh I, I strongly believe that you should not use marriage as a license to have sex a lot of christians do that and end up getting divorced because they're going in it just so that they could have sex with somebody marriage is about literally being joined with one person becoming partners for life and I believe that there's not just one person out there for you. <laughs> My wife does not necessarily like it when I say that. <laughs> I, I remember the first time I said that I don't believe in there being just the one. And she's like, how can you say that? <laughs> but it's because I believe whoever you marry becomes the one. Whoever you marry becomes the one. That there should be commitments to whoever you marry, regardless of how you feel that day. And at the and honestly, guys, I, I've been married for ten years now. And there, to anyone that is about to get married, thinking about marriage, or you're in marriage right now, there's there's weeks, there's sometimes even months where it's just like you guys aren't on the same wavelength. You, you just could just have a bad week, and you're just missing the mark. And you guys might be fighting with each other. And see, we'll what well, when we go by feelings, we discredit our marriage because of compatibility. We're not compatible at the moment. We discredit everything. But if you allow yourself to just pursue commitment and like, this is, this is my person, regardless of how I feel today, regardless of how I felt this week or this month, and you, and you dive into commitment and said, I'm telling you, there's better days ahead. Life has ups and life's have life has downs. Commitment is what will take you through all those seasons.
Now, look, I'm not talking about anything with anything with abuse. If you're being abused or anything wrong, like like truly wrong, I'm not telling you to stay in your marriage. But I'm talking about like the basic capacity of like, oh, we're just been fighting a lot lately. We commitment is stronger than compatibility. And, and let me let me end on this final thought. Just like how I'm saying passion from sex is temporary, I, I feel like it it is I'm saying two things at once here because passion from sex is temporary so it shouldn't guide your decisions but also for within a marriage passion from sex is temporary so if you want passion in your marriage you're going to need to be having a lot more sex i i would go as far to say that i don't think any healthy marriage should be having a uh, uh should be having at least you should be having at least sex twice a week to, to have a healthy, passionate marriage. I mean, go crazy, have more sex if you can, but at least, and when, when marriages have months and even years without having sex, the passion is barely hanging on by a thread. Passion from sex is temporary. So we should be having more sex within our marriage, uh, within our marriage to produce more passion. Uh, the, the final thought is like, I think it's very beautiful of how, in the same way, love is represented as a flower. And flowers die. Flowers don't last forever. It, it shows how in the same way a flower dies soon after it's given, love isn't just a one and done thing. You can't just give love one time. It should be continuously given and shown. It, it, love should be shown and given on a regular basis because flowers die. And it needs to be shown again. And what's beautiful about our God is that he did not just say, I love you, one and done. Like the cross, like that was a, a big, I love you gesture. But I mean, think about your life. I mean, even like our, the, if you feel like you have a crappy job, even a crappy job is a blessing, dude. Even a crappy job is like, I mean, when there's a lot of people struggling, like even the things that we complain about, we realize that we could be really grateful about every breath that we have is by God's mercies. And if we realize that God continuously gives us good things and, and shows us goodness in life, I mean, it's all, it's about a, having a mindset shift of gratitude. You see that God shows his love again and again and again. All that being said, I want you to take a moment to, to pray and think to yourself and maybe at, at some point in this message, you're just realizing that you have never had a moment in which you've put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You, you've never said, I love you back. You've never had a clear moment in which you put your trust in God through Jesus Christ. And you want to do that today. You just feel something just pulling in your heart that that's what you need to do. If that's you, the Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, the son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's all it takes to start this relationship with him. I, I want to be clear. It's not about having a religion. It's about having a real genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, having an authentic journey that you're starting with him. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can have that conversation yourself. It's about having that genuine heart and talking to Jesus yourself. Acknowledge who he is, the son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead. You can have that, that conversation with him today. So I, I urge you, as soon as we're done with this, this video right now, this message, have a moment. Even get on your knees and just have a quiet moment with Jesus and have that conversation today. 
all that being said, I'm so grateful for our online community. Thank you for being a part of this group. We'll be uh, posting this uh, this video tomorrow, but I want to just end on uh, just to let you know a couple announcements. We we are officially moving into our new location right off of uh, 1604 and Petrenko outside the loop. Uh, so if you if you haven't been in person, this is a great time next Sunday to try us out in person. And we're gonna uh, we're gonna go all out. It's gonna be like a grand opening. It's gonna be really nice. And we'd love for you to come in person and show some support for for our new location as a church. And uh, I want to let you know that even us being able to move in there, we're moving in there ahead of time because of the generosity of others. We we had to buy chairs and all this other equipment to be able to meet in this space. And we wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for people who donated to this ministry. And on the topic of giving, I want you to know that we never want anyone to feel pressured or persuaded to give when they don't want to. But when you do give, you extend, uh, you extend the possibility of ministry impact for somebody else's life. Because some other people gave, now we're able to have church for, for, for more people. I, that's a that's a, a beautiful illustration of what it's like when we donate and you make a difference through your giving. It's a form of worship that's so personal between you and God, but God uses that stewardship to be able to make a difference for the kingdom of God and other people. So if Gravetop Church has made an impact in your life and you want to help us continue making an impact in others, uh, you can give by either going to gravetopchurch.com, click the donate tab and you're able to give online, or you could give through our, our church center app. Um, all that being said, I'm so grateful for you guys being a, a part. We love y'all so much. Have a great rest of your evening.